Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, we're starting a series, started a series last week, The Knowledge of the Holy. And we worked from this phrase that says your understanding of who God is dictates the course of your future of your life. And it really does. What you truly believe in God, who you believe he is, not only dictates which direction you will be going, but also where you will be spending your future, which we'll address a little bit more today. We used Hebrews 11, 6. Many of you have this memorized. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And here's the promise that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When you seek after God, when you seek after trying to get to know who God is, he rewards you with that knowledge. But it takes our part to be seeking. We talked about faith and belief compared kind of the European-American view of belief uh, to the African view of a belief. The European-American view is kind of like if you're going out hunting, you got your, your gun, you got your scope, you line it up, and all of a sudden you just, as you got it in your hair, you pull your trigger a half inch and boom. And that's kind of like what we've looked at faith to be, especially in America, that our faith is based upon all you have to do is pray a prayer. And you're in. No, nothing else from that. The African view of faith is more like this. Nothing's happening behind me, so disregard that. <laughs> this is when you should have put on your blue, your little suit. You know, that little stretchy suit, little you, purple, suit. purple suit, and then, you, then online, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, the more, yeah, the more suit. Um, but the African view of belief is when you have much like a lion hunting, it takes everything of the lion to do his thing. I mean, it takes the muscles, it takes the sinews, it takes that, that claws, the teeth, everything is involved in the hunt with a lion. And that is the faith that the Bible talks about that we need to pursue God. We need to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We also talked about the book, Knowledge of the Holy, and really wanted to encourage you to pick this up. It's an easy... It, I will say it's an easy read. Usually I don't recommend difficult reads that make my brain bleed, but this didn't make my brain bleed. All it did was make me pause a lot and underline a lot because of the thoughts of understanding who this God is because that dictates my future and where I'm going to spend eternity with him. Now, some of you were raised in traditional churches where you had to go through a, a, like a catechism. And we've talked about the Westminster shortened catechism. That's when we talked about uh, the, our beliefs in God and things. But that, the Westminster catechism actually puts out a definition of God. One of the questions is that you have to answer, what is God? And this is their definition. The God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Which is a great definition. But anytime you try to define the infinite, you're going to come short. Because when we talk about God, when we talk about the attributes of God, when, when you say, well, what is an attribute? Basically, an attribute is 
a characteristic. You all have characteristics about you that describe who you are. And God has attributes as well. God has attributes that he's told us about in the Bible. But let me tell you something. These are the ones he's chose to show us. Because when you have an infinite God, when you have someone who's you can't truly define, you can't box in, we can, we're limited in our scope of understanding. And God says, here are the ones in the scriptures, which means, guys, you got to be reading your Bible to know who God is, that he has chosen to reveal to us. But I guarantee you, this is not all of who God is. And so as we talk about, we're going to cover three attributes of God, if you will. The first one is this, the self-existence of God. Now, look around you. Look at the person next to you. Just take a look, you know, if you haven't met them. All right, look above, look, look up top of you. Look at the seat that you're sitting in. Matter of fact, everything you have on today has been time-stamped. It's been dated. The chair you're sitting in had a start date. You had a start date, all right? And so whether you were created in a womb or whether you're, it was created in a factory, everything about us has a beginning time, but not so with God. God has no beginning. And that concept, when we realize that in Scripture, that there was no start date for God, we have a hard time wrapping our hands around that truth of what do you mean? You know, well, who made God? As Hazel May and Alexander will ask. I mean, Alexander's into Mr. Question mode. I mean, everything's a question. How do you make chicken? Where does this come from? And it's why, why, which is fantastic. I love the fact. But, you know, after four hours of it, it just, it just. <laughs> but I remember when both of them said, who made God? Because in our mind, we were made, so therefore God has to be made. I mean, he can't just always have been. And so what we do with that, either we, we have several ways to go. We can either choose to say, there's no way, so therefore God doesn't exist. Or we go a different way where we try to bring God to our level and define him in our terms and make him in our own image. That we, we make him in our own image and we kind of package him into a way that we can handle it. And basically, we design our designer God. Here's the goal here of this whole series and, and of life is we have to define God in his terms. On what he says about himself. And that God has no beginning. God, as, as one writer said, God is the uncaused cause, the uncreated creator. He's the source of all things. He originated everything. He sustains everything. And there is no one like our God. Isaiah says that. Isaiah 40, 46, 9 says, Remember the former things, those of long ago, that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now he's speaking that to people that thought there were all kinds of gods out there. And God saying, hey, I'm it. I'm the only one. You can worship other things, but they're not a god. I am, and there's no other one like me. When Moses, he's out there shepherding sheep. He's been doing it for 40 years, kicked out of Egypt for killing, for killing an Egyptian. 
And as he's been out there, he sees this bush burning and it draws his attention. So he goes up to the mountain, goes up to the bush that doesn't get consumed by the fire. And God speaks from the bush and tells him, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go to, to help my people. You're to, to take my people out of Egypt. And so here's Moses who knew of his Jewish background. He knew he was a Jew. That's why he killed the Egyptian in the first place. But when he says, wait a minute, which if you read Moses, he's always pushing off. I can't talk. I can't do this. He says, well, who am I going to tell the Israelites who sent you? Who am I going to say? And in Exodus 3.14, this is God's response. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am self-existent. He depends on nothing. Nothing started him. Nothing will end him. I am, period. Romans puts it this way, Romans eleven thirty six, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. I'm, amen. God is self-existence. His, he's totally autonomous from everything else. And so because of that, when he makes promises, he'll fulfill them. When he makes predictions, he, they will come to pass. Why? Because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. No, and that's, again, we have a problem because he answers to no one. That's right. He answers to no one, not even us. But he created us to realize that God has always been there. And because of that, Isaiah 40, 46, verse 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Isn't that good news? Right? Everything God promised you will come about. Everything he said. Every prediction he has made is going to come about because he's God. He is self-existence. He answers to no one. But everything he says set in motion will take place. Now, that's when we go to the New Testament. We see that in Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is speaking to the Jews. They're trying to pinpoint him down as, as always. And all of a sudden, the Jews who are very proud of their heritage says, well, Abraham, our father, is this, this, this. And Jesus responds, John 8, 58, which got him in a lot of trouble. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And because he said, I am, every Jew knew exactly what the reference was. That's why they wanted to kill him. That was a blasphemy. You're bringing down the name of God on yourself. But that's who Jesus Christ was. He was self-existent as well. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 16, 17, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus wasn't created. Jesus wasn't all of a sudden happened in what we celebrated on Christmas. He came to earth, God in the flesh, resurrected from the dead, and when he ascended to heaven, went right back to who he was before he left, that he is the creator of the universe. 
And he says it when you get to the book, in the book of Revelations, Revelations 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Is this back to, I, I love Spurgeon, and he said this, the Lord is self-existent and true and therefore worthy of the confidence of man because he always has been. He always will be. There never will be anyone like him because he, there is no one like him. We can put our faith and trust in him. Your understanding of God dictates my course of my life and the future as well. Self-existence. Second one is self-sufficiency of God. Every one of us depends on something outside of us to survive. No creature has life in itself. Totally a gift from God. And if we were just to get that whole concept, the minute you woke up and took a breath, God, and I say it all the time, you hear me say it if you've been here any length of time, God, thank you for another day, another breath. That means you're not done with us yet. With, with us yet. Because why? He gives us the breath. He's the one who is totally self-sufficient, but we are totally dependent on everything that God gives us. God depends on nothing. God needs nothing. And again, when we think about that, that if, to say that God needs something is to declare that God is incomplete. God needs nothing, and he doesn't need us. Acts 17, Paul preaching to the Greeks. Mars Hill says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything in it. Every organism on the face of the earth needs something, but God needs Nothing. Now, that's interesting when you, when you begin to think that. It's just, you know, why, would, why, why do you say that God needs nothing? Well, he created us for something, so he must need us. That's why he created us. Because I don't know if you're any artist in the room or, you know, where, whether it's drawing, whether it's sculpting, painting, maybe bending metal or welding, maybe it's just food, setting up a beautiful meal. Guys, we do that because we want to, not because we need to. It's just that we, I want to create something. I want to make something. God just wanted to do this. And because he's self-sufficient, because he needs any, nothing, he, he doesn't need us to lift himself up. Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Jesus Christ. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful hand. How can we raise and support him when he upholds everything? Can't be done. And sometimes people think, well, God's up there. Like I said, he's worrying. Oh, man, what are they going to do down there? You got Russia saying this. You got Ukraine. You got this. You got gas prices. What's going to happen and we think, many times people think that God's kind of like running around, I hope they like me. And then when we do, it's like giving them a tro trophy. You like me. You really, really like me. Guys, that's not God. God doesn't need that. 
again, I, I remember uh, in Fresno, I can still see it. I was in front row. We had a missionary. I was, I was 20 years old. Had a missionary from Mexico come. Chuy Davalos was his name. I mean, just the fact that I remember his name is kind of amazing at 20. But he, I was sitting in the front row, and he was doing his thing. He's a little broken English, but then he went around the audience. And some of you have heard me say this, where he'd say, God needs you. God needs you. God needs you. And he pointed right at me. God needs you. And I remember feeling, hey, wow, God needs me. And it, it was kind of half true. God chooses to use me. But if I don't do it, guys, God will find somebody else. He doesn't need me to accomplish his task because what he has intended to do is going to happen with or without me. Now, my life verse, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. So there's something that he wants me to do. I, I get it. But I choose whether I'm going to be involved or not. And God said, it's not like, ah, oh, Tim's not going to do that. Well, there goes my whole plans. Guys, God does not need me to accomplish. He chooses to use me to accomplish that. And here's the great news. That God who needs no one has sovereignly set himself to work in, by, and through his obedient children. God who doesn't need anyone in his sovereignty has sat back and said, I want to use you in things, around things, about things. I want to use you, your choice of whether you're going to be used. Some of you have gifts and talents that you've never engaged yet. I mean, you have them. For lack of, maybe you don't know what they are. Maybe a fear of engaging them. I can't do that. And God is saying, guys, I gave these for you, that when you act in faith, he needs no one. But when faith is present, he can use anyone. And he's just looking for us to engage the gifts. That's back to Timothy. We're entitled fan and the flame, the gifts that he's given us. He wants to engage with us. When we act in faith on that, thinking, I don't know if I can do this, which is probably a pretty good place to be. I was asked by... Um, by a person of uh, great, I, I would say great power, the other day. Do you get nervous when you get up and speak? Because he does a lot of speaking. I go, all the time. I've been doing this for a long time, guys. I get nervous because I know every word that I say to you guys is being recorded, not only on the Internet, but before God. And I will be held accountable for every single word. I think he took pause at that. And I looked at him, and so will you. Every one of us. We're, t we're called to engage. God doesn't need me to engage. He wants me to engage. He empowered me to engage. I choose whether I will. But he needs nothing because he's totally sufficient in himself. Again, your understanding of who God is dictates the course and the future of your life. Lastly, the eternity of God. Again, the eternity of God and the self-existence of God kind of bleed together, but they, but they are separate. And some people don't like the fact that God is eternal. And some pastors have tried to 
of late, and I'm sure they've been doing it forever, but pastors that I'm aware of have been trying to take away the eternity of God because they want to take away the eternity of heaven and the eternity of punishment. Okay, if you have an eternal God, then that means everything that he was conducting is eternal. Judgment is eternal. Whether you're going to heaven is eternal or whether you're going to hell is eternal. Again, back to choice. And so they're trying to limit the eternity because they don't want to believe, well, God's not going to send people to hell for eternity's sake. Guys, God is eternal. And because of that, there is no, again, back to the self-existence, there is no beginning or end. God is eternal. He can't be time-dated. We have this thing called carbon dating. And, you know, science loves carbon dating because, you know, we can figure out how old things are. And that's even been questionable. A lot of science has called into question as of late of how old things are. Because every living creature has carbon in it. And they do this process, and I'm not going to go into detail because I'd make my brain bleed to that. I said, do I really want to know this? No, I can look it up and read it whenever I want. I don't need to memorize this. It's carbon dating. It's meant to show how old something is. But that can't be applied to God. Because God is eternal. Back to again, we went, how can that be? Because it is, and that's part of accepting that by faith. These attributes, all of them, because there's some you will get into, you're going, wow, that's so heavy. But God has chosen to reveal this to us, to give us hope and encouragement to worship, because he does not want us to worship in ignorance. We need to know who we are worshiping. Who is this, this great God? And so God, because he know, he's eternal, that means he knows the beginning of days and the end of days. God dwells in eternity. We, we, we put things in time. Sun's going to rise and the sun will set. We set our watches. We do all these changes and, and we watch the earth, the sun, the moon, and all. We make decisions. And our brains can only go so far in the past before they just kind of get muddied and everything. And we can't really think too far into the future because it hasn't existed yet. So our brains have a hard time comprehending that. But God? God dwells in eternity. But, but time dwells in God. He has already lived all our tomorrows as he has lived all our yesterdays. And that should give us encouragement. Nothing surprises him. So whatever you're going through, good or bad, whatever struggles you are going through, God knows about it. When I bring my prayers to him, it's not like, oh, I didn't, I didn't tell him. I didn't know that was happening. He knows. That's why he gives me the strength. That's why he gives me the ability. That's why sometimes I wonder if he got the wrong address on some people of why they're going through this difficult time. Guys, but there's always a rhyme and a reason with God. And many times he'll reveal it. It's never in my timing, but always is his, always in his, and his timing is always perfect. Isaiah, back to Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. He knows your yesterdays, and he knows your tomorrows. That means you can trust him. I mean, if God already knows and he woke me up today, then there's nothing that's going to surprise him that's going to come my way. 
And every day is putting your trust in this eternal God that he knows exactly what he's doing. And here's the thing about an eternal God. In Genesis 1.27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. God does something here that he doesn't do for any other part of creation. You read Genesis 1, all the other parts of creation that God has done, he just brought into existence, brought into existence, brought into existence. But when it came to man, he did something totally unique and different. In Genesis 2, it says, Genesis 2, 7, at the creation of man, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. He didn't do that with the animals. You know, that's why we said, is Fifi going to be in heaven, my little dog, when I get there? Doubtful, all right? Because he didn't breathe eternal soul into your, in the animals. He didn't do that with giraffes and horses and cats and dogs and all that. He only did that with us. Which means, guys, the breath of God created an eternal soul in man. That's, that's the key here. God breathed eternity into the soul of man. That's why every one of you here has an eternal soul. When you're dead, you're not done. All right? Your soul lives forever. It's dependent upon where that will be. God created us. Human beings, every single person that has ever been born will live forever just as God will because he breathed an eternal soul into us when God created man. Tozer puts it this way. Man, for all his genius, is but an echo of the original voice, a reflection of the uncreated light. As a sunbeam perishes when cut off from the sun, so man, apart from God, would pass back into the void of nothingness from which he first leaped at the creative call. We have an eternal soul. Now, Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, were meant to live forever. They were meant to go and populate the whole earth. That's going to take a while. There wasn't a time date on man at the beginning, sin into the picture, and all of a sudden a death date all of a sudden entered the picture. That's why Moses in, in Psalm 90, this is actually Psalms, Moses wrote this one, Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Take into account every day. Number our days, because our days are numbered. And guess who knows the number of days? Again, God's not surprised by anything. So we have a limited time on this earth in this body, but our soul our, will live forever. Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. That's why you watch movies. You watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. What are they looking for? The chalice that Christ drank from. So that whoever drinks from it could gain what? Eternal life. 
You have the pirates of the, Car pirates of the Caribbean on stranger tides. Because why? They were searching for the, the fountain of youth. And the fountain of youth, again, because eternity has been written on all our hearts. I mean, history, the Greek historian Herodias, he first spoke about the fountain of youth. The Alexander the Great conquered Persia because he heard of a river that turned back time. Middle Ages, the ruler Preston John's kingdom in the Far East said they had the fountain of youth and a river of gold. Then you have Ponce de Leon, who, you know, basically they said, he wasn't searching for a fountain of youth, he was searching for gold. But if you go to St. Augustine, Florida, you can go visit the fountain of youth park there. And again, this, there's this drive that we have inside of us to have eternal life. Why? Because God has written that on your hearts. Why? Because God breathed into the soul of man and his soul is eternal. Your soul is eternal. You will go on forever even though this body will shut down. God whispers within every man of this everlasting hope. Somewhere he will continue to exist. Now people say, well, I'm, when it's over, it's over. Okay. No, that's not true. I remember one guy says, Tim, when I'm died, just put an acorn in my mouth and I'll, I'll pop out as an oak tree. Not true. I mean, you may feed an oak tree. Your body may feed it, but you're going to live forever, my friend. Because why? Not only has eternity been written on your hearts, your soul is eternal. It will spend eternity somewhere. Why? Because God is eternal. And when he breathed into the, to, to man to cause, give him life, his soul became eternal. That's why when we looked at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verse 10, Paul writes here, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought what? Life and immortality. Guys, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. The destination is going to be based on, do you know God? All of a sudden, this whole thing of the concept of knowing God, it's critical, guys, to where we're going to spend eternity. That's why, lastly, Tozer said this, God's eternity and man's mortality Joined to persuade us that faith in Jesus Christ is not optional. For every man, it must be Christ or eternal tragedy. Our soul, there's something inside us that feels we are, we are not meant just to die and go away. Which is true. But we live in a world that is decaying and dying all around us. Every week we hear of death, every week we may experience that closely. The older we get, things stop working as they should. Because why? This body is going to shut down eventually. But my soul will live forever. God is self-existent. No one gave him a start. God is self-sufficient. He needs no one, but he cho chooses to use us. God is eternal. And because of that, when he created us, 
He blew eternity into our souls that someday we will live eternally somewhere. God's desire is because why he sent his son Jesus Christ in the first place, to defeat death, as Timothy said. To defeat death and give us immortality because based on nothing that we bring to the table, it's our decision, am I going to trust God for who he is? That's why the question, have you asked for forgiveness of your sins? Have you asked the great God who sent his son Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient, the self-existent, the eternal God, have you asked him to forgive your sins? I mean, I ask God to forgive my sins all the time. But I'll be celebrating that in November, or that day when the first time that I ever ask God to forgive my sin and take direction and control of my life. Have you chosen to embrace Jesus? Not like a guy who's got a gun, targets, and just pulls a trigger for a half inch. To follow him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, every muscle, every sinew, every tendon involved into it. Because that God, the God who's self-existent, self-sufficient, and eternal, wants you to spend eternity with him. And the choice lies with us. Just like being used by God lies with us. God is gentle. One of my favorite pictures is God knocking on the door in Revelations 3. I stand at the door and knock. It doesn't say I stand at the door and pick the lock. It doesn't say I stand at the door and bust it down. He could. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Now, he was speaking to the church at that time. The church had put him out, which is very possible to do. We can put him out of our life. It's when we invite him back in, Father, I want to be used by you. You've given me gifts and talents. Some I don't even know. Reveal that to me. But some I do know. Help me to engage those. You don't need me but you choose to use me. Or maybe for, for the first time, guys, there's some here, I know there's some here, just by ratio alone, that you, you've gone to church most of your life, I went to church most of my life. I could tell you about Jesus, I could tell you about Easter and Christmas because I heard it when I went. But I did not have a relationship with God that I could call my own. It was my parents primarily my mom at the time, who had the faith, not me. And it wasn't until a college library that I made a decision to follow Christ and give my all, everything that I knew how to give to him at that point in time. Not knowing I'd be here someday, not thinking that. God did. Because he knows my yesterdays and he knows my tomorrows. And that gives me great comfort. He doesn't need me but he wants to use me. That's awesome. And he's put eternity in my heart because he wants me to spend eternity with him. But still, my choice, if I'm going to submit myself to him 
Ask him to forgive my sins and begin to follow him daily. Let me pray. Father in heaven, teach us, O oh God. Teach us that you're the great I am. And there's no beginning, there's no end for you. That what you promise, you will indeed do. What you predict will truly come to pass. There is no one like you. Teach us that you are in need of nothing. But you choose to use us to accomplish your plan. You don't need us to, but you want to use us. You need no one. But when faith is present, when faith is engaged, you will use anyone. Teach us that you dwell in eternity, Father. That all time dwells in you. You've seen my yesterdays, you've seen my tomorrows. You've written eternity on my heart. You've sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die a horrible death on a cross to pay for my sins. I say thank you. I ask that we would embrace you with all our heart and soul and mind, every muscle, every tendon, to engage in you. Father, you promised to reward us you say throughout the scriptures, if you seek after you, you will find, we will find you. Father, may we be rewarded with knowing who you are so we can worship in truth and not in ignorance. And Father, if there's someone here that needs you today, that has never asked you for forgiveness, who has never stepped forward and said, today I'm going to follow you, May they realize eternity is written on their hearts. Do you want them to spend eternity with you? But it's their choice. Father, may they choose you today. Father, we love you. Thank you for another day. You gave us breath, which means you're not done with us yet. Help us take advantage of the time you've given us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.